guys have all driven to get here. <laughs> and who knows what the traffic was like? What's that country? Yeah. Good morning. So, knees. 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 Oh, those poor knees. The knees do have an opinion about all of this meditation. <laughs> And counterclockwise. And hips circulate clockwise. And counterclockwise. And one hand over the heart and circulating clockwise. And switching hands and counterclockwise. And now interlocking the fingers and pushing down and to the left and to the right and to the center and relaxing your hands and hanging and brushing down with your legs. And patting. Both sides, inside and out. And interlocking your fingers and pushing up. And leaning over. And over. And pointing one toe up and taking your arms and circulating at the elbows. Now, having your fingers come close to the floor with ten fingers. Now brushing down. And patting. And the other side. Welcome. Elbows circulating. Ten fingers. Rushing down. And padding.
And now back to the other side. And now this time we've got six fingers. And two fingers. And now hold your... Um, the point where the big toe and the and the next toe intersect. And now relax the pressure and just hold that and breathe. And brush down. And pat down. And on the other side three fingers and two fingers and hold the big toe and relax the holding and just breathe and brush down And pat down. And standing up. And this time we're going to do the the stretch, the inner thigh stretch. So extend the legs and hold on to the elbows over the bent knee giving a nice big stretch on the extended leg. And point towards the foot of the extended leg and open up the hand gently. And now switch so that the bent leg is the back to the elbows. Nice stretch on the inside of the thigh. Extend your arms so that you're reaching towards the extended leg and lifting out, opening up the chest. Standing up and brushing up. And bringing your feet together. And now breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Breathing in. And out. Continuing. In breath, out breath, and out breath. Now separating heaven and earth, extending. Breathing in 
And breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Out. And now, again, bring the the feet into horse stance, contracting the air in the abdomen and opening the eyes and making a nice big hissing sound and releasing. back into the first posture and breathing in and out. Feeling the hands at the sides and the tingling, the sensations, the feelings in the body. Feeling the body, the weight, the density, the shape, the sensations. Feeling the breath, the in-breath, the out-breath. Notice the breath change. Get deeper get slower. Notice the sensations change from lots of tingling and lots of energy to quieter. At least that is my experience. Your experience may be different. So we bring awareness and attention to what's happening in our body, letting our body instruct us, teach us. Our body is a temple. It's our meditation hall, our sanctuary where we contemplate. And so just notice the impact of a few minutes of movement and breath on the level of aliveness, the quality of energy, the experience of density, the feeling of warmth or coolness in the body.
in our ability to be with what is happening in our body. Now, as you're with your body, notice notice the feeling, the sensation, and notice if it's pleasant or unpleasant. So we use our body as a reference, as a basis for our meditation. Keep it simple. What's the sensation and is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Or is it neutral? Is the feeling of the cloth against your skin, is it neutral? So staying with the feeling, the body sensations, and noticing pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Just keeping it simple. And notice how it can change. You can stay with something and it can be pleasant for a while, and then it shifts. And we can notice the shift. Pleasant can become neutral, and then can become unpleasant. So it helps to have our body on board, to let our body become alive on board. And sometimes a little bit of extra support to do this is helpful. Now, carefully, with with attention, changing your posture and coming into a, a sitting posture. 
And if you need to lie down, my invitation is to lie down with either your feet pointing towards the windows or your head pointing towards the shrine. Doesn't matter which windows, those windows. just taking a couple of minutes to just connect with your body in this different posture checking to see that your hips are high enough just re-establishing that very gentle rocking motion on the pelvis on the the fulcrum that's gentle very subtle rocking that supports our whole system to relax Tiny little micro-movement that just gives a signal to our nervous system that everything is okay to relax. And as you settle into the sitting posture with this very slight micro-movement of rocking, staying with the first and second foundations of mindfulness, staying with the body sensations, and the quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, connected to them.
Sometimes when that rocking motion stops, it's because we've gone into a freeze. It's not coming out of calmness, it's coming out of freeze. And if we gently allow the rocking to continue, to begin again, that can gently encourage us out of that freeze. Just simple rocking back and forth. And that freeze is characteristic that we don't really have strong sensations. There's just a whole lot of nothing, nothing going on. Kind of like numbness. So we want to gently invite a connection. And this gentle rocking can be one way. Staying with the physical sensations in the body. Quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral connected to them. It's simple. And just coming back to the body, coming back to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So if there's thinking or remembering or planning, just noticing it, just touching it, and redirecting attention back to the body and back to this quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The feeling tone. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. We don't need to grab hold of it, just noticing it.
just present with this experience of being with our body, feeling our weight, density, the movement of energy, the tingling, the density, the warmth, the coolness, the shape, the breath. This is all part of having a body. Sometimes it feels very dense and sometimes it feels very light. Sometimes it feels very solid and sometimes it feels very liquid. Sometimes we can't feel much and sometimes there's all kinds of stuff going on. We don't need to have an opinion about it. An opinion may arise, but we don't need to move into our opinion about our experience of our body. We can just notice an opinion and come back to the simplicity of weight, shape, density, solidity, fluidity, tingling. Warmth, coolness, movement, breath. Breath coming in and the breath going out. The nourishing in-breath coming in. Sing out-breath going out. First foundation of mindfulness and second foundation. The quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral connected to any of these body experiences. Keep it simple. It's not easy to keep it simple sometimes. The mind can dash out into thoughts, into thinking, into remembering, into feeling about what I need to do next worry. And we just touch whatever arises and reconnect with the body experience, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral connected to it.
I'll be right back. Um, can I invite Paulina to put uh, invite the people who don't have name tags to put them on? Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. How'd you sleep? Yeah. How are you this morning? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Half, 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 half? <laughs> half, half. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome back. And welcome for those for this is your first day. It's wonderful to have you here. Um... Today we are continuing with the same theme, and my aim, as was yesterday, is to help us feel our bodies as the place that we are going to understand these teachings. And um, that, for some of us, is not so easy. (laughs) Welcome to the club. But we have the support that we need. We're in a place that's um, beautiful and safe, and we have the support of the teachings, and we have the support of each other who are here wanting to practice and and inquire together. So uh, we're in a good place to to do this, and we're in a good place to to allow this a contemplation to unfold body body first rather than top down. And then my intention is to loop it around so that we have some cognitive frame, but not to overload you with information, to wait until I feel our bodies are on board before I, I, I pile too much information. Because there's tons of information I can pile you up with, and I don't think it's going to do anybody much good. <laughs> So I'm waiting for the signs, the signals that we're here and we're alive and our bodies are engaged and we can feel them, you know? And and let's see what we can do for some support. Now, what happened to my chanting books? There it is. 
Um, so I would like to start with the Buddha's words on loving kindness on page eight in your chanting books. And the reason why I want to start with that is that is that you know when we do these retreats, there's a kind of like a long list of implicit assumptions uh, about what's needed in the way that we are with our experience and the way that we focus our attention. And one of the implicit assumptions, which shouldn't be implicit, it needs to be made explicit, is that we need to really bring forward a heart of loving kindness. As a kind of like, that's the first thing. And so we'll start with the Buddha's words on loving kindness as a way of bringing this forward, that this attitude, this quality of kindness, this quality of care, this tenderness is something that we can bring forward in the quality of the way that we turn our attention. It's in the way that we walk, in the way that we sit down, in the way that we focus our mind on what's happening, the way that we touch a thought or a plan or, and redirect it. We can have our intention be imbued with love and kindness and let that show up in everything that we do. And we will notice the impact when we do that. So this chanting has three notes. There's the bass note, it goes up a note, and goes down a note. So when there's nothing on the words, then it's an even note. When there's a little triangle beneath it, it means that the tune goes down. When there's a little triangle on top, it means that the tone goes up. So with a little bit of practice, we can pick something up and have a a guess about how it's supposed to go. So I will begin, and you can join me. It's on page 8 of this chanting. You got it? Yeah. Okay. Now let us chant the Buddha's words on loving kindness. This is what should be done. By one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace, let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, (coughs) not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, proud and demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen. 
seen uh, those living near and far away uh, those born and to be born may all beings be at ease let none deceive another or despise any being in any state let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the entire world spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths outwards and unbounded freed from hatred and ill will whether standing or walking seated or lying down free from drowsiness one should sustain this recollection this is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views the pure hearted one having clarity of vision being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world And let's do the mantra chanting on page uh, three. I want to do the Namotasa mantra and then the um, uh, the Gate Gate mantra. So when we do the Namotasa mantra, in addition, in addition to feeling the vibration and the resonance, to feeling us all sinking up in 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 hormonal hormonal. <laughs> Harmony, (laughs) my menopausal brain. (laughs) Um, We can also touch into the qualities of how it feels, what happens in our body, and whether this is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling as we're chanting. So the Namotasa is homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. And so in a traditional context, we chant this as a way of paying homage to the Buddha, as a way of paying homage to the teacher who made it possible for these teachings. But also what we're doing is we're touching that quality of that awakened one inside of us. So anytime we are paying homage to the awakened one, It isn't a historical human being. It's that quality that's present right now that every one of us can access and touch. So we are paying homage to our own deepest capacity to wake up. 
and to inviting that to come into the present. Okay? So if you have um, a reaction to chanting, and some people do, there's no need for you to force yourself one way or the other. This is an invitation. So lean in and allow. It's an invitation. And see what your experience is. Mortasa Bhagavato Arahato Samaha Sambodasa Namodasa Bhagavato Arato 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 Samaha Sambodasa Namodasa Bhagavato Arahato Samaha Sambodasa Namodasa Bhagavato Arahato Samaha Sambodasa Namodasa Bhagavato Arahato Sambodasa
Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. What happens when we let these words reverberate through our body, our heart, and our mind? Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. What does our body feel? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? This next chant, gate, gate, paragate, para, sam, gate, bodhiswaha. Gate, gate, paragate, gone, gone, gone beyond. Gone beyond the beyond. Enlightenment. So let's do that. Gate, gate. Repeat after me. Gate, gate. Gate, gate. Paragate. Parasamgate. Bodhiswaha. Again, gate, gate. Gate, gate. Paragate. Parasamgate. Bodhiswaha. Bodhiswaha. And in the tune, Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasamgate, Bodhiswaha. Please join in. Gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, bodhiswaha. Gate, gate, paragate, Parasamgate Bodhiswaha Gate Gate Paragate Parasamgate Bodhiswaha Gate Gate Paragate Parasamgate Bodhiswaha Gate, gate, 
Paragate Parasamgate Bodhi Swaha Gate Gate Paragate Parasamgate Bodhi Gate Gate Paragate Parasamgate Bodhiswaha Gate Gate Paragate Parasamgate Bodhiswaha Gate Gate Paragate Parasamgate Pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Let it be and notice how it is pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So chanting traditionally is used as a way for us to connect with our body, our heart, and our mind 
It's a way to let these teachings simmer and sift through our system without having to think too hard about it, to get it through the ethers, to get it through the vibration, to get it through all of us syncing up together in harmony. Some people like chanting. Some people hate chanting. You're welcome to feel whatever you feel. (laughs) There's no requirement that you have certain feelings. Your feelings are welcome, exactly as they are. You are welcome, exactly as you are. You don't have to be different. You can be exactly as you are. Your body can be exactly as it is. But what we can learn is, is that we have choice about where we focus our attention. And we have choice about how we relate to what we experience. And those choices make all of the difference. That's the golden key. That's the key that shows us the freedoms that we have. So when we get it, that we have choices, and we get how to direct our choices in a way that opens up the space so that we have more spaciousness, more peace, more ease, more joy, then our sense of ease and well-being, our joy, our sense of spaciousness increases. When we make choices that narrow our capacity, that shrink and contract our joy, that diminish our capacity, then we feel the result. It feels heavy, it feels dense, it feels tight, it feels constricted. And just like in the Seder ceremony, the tight passage we feel that tightness, that constriction, that, that, that trying to break free. We feel it. So these teachings are about finding freedom. Not as a conceptual thing, even though that can support us, as a body thing. How do we find a little bit more space or freedom in our posture, in our voice, in our being together? So how are you this morning? What's your experience? A word, a two? What's going on? Relaxed? Good. Intense. No words. It'll come again. Yeah, the jewels, sometimes they come. Catch them as they fly and let them go. More words how you are this morning? Quiet. Quiet. Good. Hopeful. Hopeful. Delightful. Delightful. Open. Open. More words? 
I have a sense to do something with you that I've never done on retreat before, so I'm going to invite you to stand up. And and I want you to follow me as best as you can. And and just relax. Feel your body. Relax. And clap your hands. So don't anticipate. And in order not to anticipate, you got to relax. And you got to come out of your thinking. <laughs> Relax. Just relax your knees and relax your shoulders and relax your head and let's try again. See what happens when we let go of trying to figure it out, when our body relaxes? See how much more present we are, how much more responsive we are. So this is what we need to do. We need to come out of our thinking. We need to stop anticipating. We need to be able to be responsive. And we need to do that internally, not just following me, following ourselves. Okay? Where we're not trying to anticipate what's going to happen next and how I should respond. We're just in the present moment, open and curious about and alive. And then as we are open and curious and alive, then we can actually meet what's happening. Just like you can follow. Mm. Yeah? So we need to relax our thinking. And feel our body. All of our body. From our feet, all the way up our legs, and our tummies, and our chest and our arms, and our hands, and our underarms, 
and our heads, our gentle heads. We need to feel our heads, but not from thinking, from our body experience of just noticing what is here. What's here in our face, in our back? And we can give ourselves a little pounding, just a gentle pounding on our back, in our hips. And now, when we've woken ourselves up, what happens? How does body feel? Tingly? Words? Awake? Awake? Words? Relaxed words? Energized words? Aware words? Breathing? Light words? Open words? New words? Tantalized. So sometimes what happens is that we need to do a little bit more stuff with our body in order for our body to be on board. And the challenge with the silent meditation retreat is that it has us sitting silent and not moving for hours. And sometimes that opens up this deep, beautiful, gorgeous, luscious, rich, inviting body aliveness, and sometimes it doesn't. So we need to be attentive when it does, then sitting for hours in silence is really helpful. When it doesn't, then we need to do parallel practices that help support us to make that aliveness happen. So I am inviting those aliveness practices intermittent with our silence so that I can get us all on board. We can have our bodies. We need our bodies. It's really hard to meditate without a body. (laughs) Sometimes we think that that's where we're going to go or where we should go or where we're supposed to go, but it's not very easy and it's not very productive when we don't have our bodies present. So we try and wake our bodies up And then we try and work with what's happening, what are the feelings, density, what's the shape, what's the posture, what are the movements. This is all the first foundation of mindfulness, knowing our body as our body. And then the second foundation is noticing pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Okay, have a seat. Uh, 11 o'clock. I'll give a talk and then we'll have a break. So what I'd like to do is now talk about habits. So what happens is you might have noticed that something happens, there's contact. You like chanting. And there's this warm feeling in your heart. And then there's this feeling of, I'd like to do this more. And then there's the thoughts. How can I do more chanting? How can I do more chanting? I'd like to do more chanting. Maybe I'll buy some chanting tapes. Maybe I'll go to the monastery. Maybe I'll get a chanting book. Maybe I'll take the chanting book home. Moshe didn't say to take it home. So the thoughts happen. The thoughts start thinking. So we have an initial contact. The contact is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then there's the moving into what do I do to secure this or how do I get rid of this? Now, some of you might have hated the chanting, found it horrendous, and so there's this experience, I hate chanting, get me out of here, how can I survive this, where can I run? 
And so then the thoughts go, how do I escape this horrendous experience of chanting? And then there's the movement of the mind into how do I get out of here? Uh, Nobody left, so congratulations. (laughs) But sometimes we have a feeling that we cannot bear it and that we have to get out of here because it's intolerable. And then we make plans and we execute those plans and we go. Now, there are lots of times when that's a skillful response. And there's sometimes where it's just the mind is moving, following its desire not to have something. So when we have a flashlight into this black box, we see the pattern. And so we have all of these movements, and so we can then begin to notice when we like something, What do we normally do? What are our favorite things to do when we like things? To grab hold, to think about it, to imagine, to want, to grasp. And when we don't want, what are our patterns when we don't want? How do we distance ourselves? How do we avoid it? How do we get rid of it? How do we ignore it? How do we get it out of our space? How do we annihilate it? How do we kill it? How do we change the circumstance to create a new circumstance? So sometimes that's an important question. Yes. Try to find a way to to make it different. And so there's, in this world, there's lots of trying to find a way to make it different because there's lots of things that come up that are not helpful. So what is important is the discernment about when this is useful to practice with as an internal experience and when it actually is useful to change the circumstance. Okay? So there's a discernment that's needed. So meditation tends to emphasize the inner work that our job is to watch what's arising and see the choices that we're making and work it out from the inside. And there is an enormous amount of goodness that can come from that when it's done in the right context. When it's not done in the right context, it's problematic. So, for example... When the house is on fire, we don't need to have an internal contemplation about our anxiety. We need to get out of the house. It's not an internal experience. It's an an immediate response is needed in order to secure safety. So when there is life-threatening danger, then what is necessary is to mobilize and find some safety. And once there's some safety, then we can pick up the pieces and figure out where we're at and what is needed next. Now, the other place where it is contextual is if our body gets jammed into a stress response where we are constantly thinking that things are life-threatening, then we need specific 
tools to turn our attention so that we are out of that stress response. Because if we are only trying to use... We have to be careful about the way we focus our attention when that's what our experience is. I'll put it that way. We can use the meditation in a way which is helpful, and we can use the meditation in a way that's not helpful. It's not the meditation, it's how we're using it. And so when our systems are jammed into those stress responses, we have an extra care that we need to bring to how we use our meditation. Be discerning. Yes, Pam, please go ahead. The not helpful way is to demand that we sit and we stay with what's arising even when our body and our hearts and our minds are not able to stay with it without making it more stressful. Okay? So if our systems are jammed into a stress response and we have a demand that we sit in silence for 40 minutes and we stay with the discomfort, that's not helpful. It would be helpful if we are able to be with it and that being with it allows it to shift. But if it doesn't, if it aggravates it, it's not helpful. Another thing is, is that the meditation is, comp- is often about being able to stay with unpleasant feelings. Okay? That's an important part of meditation is learning how to stay with unpleasant feelings. When our system is jammed into a stress response, we need to touch the unpleasant feeling and direct it to something that's pleasant. It's not helpful to stay with the unpleasant feeling. Okay? We need to actually flood ourselves with joy. We need to flood ourselves with positive feeling. We need to re-remember what it feels like to feel happy. We've lost it. We can't remember what it feels like to feel happy. We have no access to that. And so it's really helpful to put an extra amount of effort on things that are positive rather than just staying with what's unpleasant. Okay? So, yes, please. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so what's needed is to understand when we are in uh, a, a, a place where what's needed is extra care, And when we are in a place where we can just bring regular meditation tools to what we're experiencing and attend to it with the the instructions that we've often heard, which is just to stay with whatever's arising. That's right. You're spot on. You're tracking exactly what it was that I was trying to say. So... We have our experience, and then the experience gives rise to a feeling, and the feeling is going to stimulate more interest, either to get or to get rid of, or to space out. And then that spacing out, or that, that experience, is going to give rise to a next thought, or pattern, or action. And often those next thought, those next patterns, and those next actions are very much in accordance with our habits. And so it is really helpful to begin to identify our habits. What happens to us when we feel pleasure? What happens to us when we feel pain? And what happens to us when we feel uh, 
either bored or disinterested or spaced out. So what I would like you to do, does everyone have a notebook or something to write with? No. There's some paper in the back and there's some clipboards and and some things like that. Can we... Is there enough to go around? There won't be paper there. Please go ahead. So what I'd like you to do is to take a paper, and on the paper I want you to make three columns. I want you to write pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And I'd like you to remember the kinds of ways that you respond. What are the habits when you experience pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral? So the, 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 the instruction is to put three columns on a piece of paper and on the top head it with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And then I'd like you to spend some time thinking about things and ways that you respond, habit patterns that you have around pleasant experiences, around unpleasant experiences, and when things are neutral.
So wind up your thoughts on your last, what you're working on. And now what I'd like to do is to invite you to partner up. So pick a partner and, and I'd like you to turn your chair so that you're facing your partner. So sit next to each other and turn your chairs or your cushions so you're facing each other. And you've got name tags on, hopefully, so you can see each other's names. So facing each other, and you can put your, 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 your sheets down, okay? And what I'd like you to do uh, to start with is you've introduced yourselves is just to close your eyes with your facing each other so it's helpful if you're looking at each other at a distance and and, and close your eyes and feel your body so feel your weight on the cushion or on the chair feel your feet on the floor or underneath you feel your body Notice what you notice in your body. Notice if it feels pleasant or unpleasant. And now, with your eyes closed, just notice that your body is a place that you can return your attention to, no matter what's going on. And so at any point in this exercise, you can allow your attention to return to the physical experience of sitting. You can just turn and focus on your weight, the density, the feeling of being pulled into the floor or the cushion underneath you, the pressure. And that's available to you. That's a choice. Now, with your eyes closed, just bring your attention to the fact that there's somebody sitting across from you. Without opening your eyes, you're not in physical contact. How can you know that there's somebody sitting across from you? Is it simply memory? Or is there a feeling of presence? How do you know that they're across from you? How can you you notice that in your own physical body right now with your eyes closed? And notice, does that experience of noticing the other person, does it give rise to pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling? You can just notice. It doesn't have to be any particular way. You can just notice what's there. That's available to you. And then come back to your own body. Again, when you feel your own body, you can notice the breath or something that's soothing. Pay attention there. 
Bring your focus again to the fact that there's somebody across from you. And, and I'd like to invite you to open your eyes just a tiny, tiny little bit, just enough so that you get a tiny sense of color and shape. Not enough so that you can see many details. Just the tiniest, tiniest bit. And then notice, close your eyes, notice the impact. Did you move outside of your experience of feeling your own body when you had a little bit of visual contact? It's okay if you did. That's very common. It happens to most of us. But just notice. And then come back to your body. Now, this time open your eyes a little bit more and see if when you open your eyes you can also keep connected to your own body. Close your eyes and notice if, if by closing your eyes it's easier to feel your own body, to feel the weight, the density, the sensations. If the experience of sight makes it harder to stay with your body. And just notice. And there's no need for an opinion about it or a, a decision about how it is supposed to be. You can just notice the impact. So I'd like to encourage that at any point when we are going to be doing this exercise now and other exercises later, if you notice that you are getting pulled out from feeling your body to do what you need, either by closing your eyes or redirecting your attention to feeling your full experience of sitting here, it's possible to notice your body and listen and see but it takes some experience and sometimes that experience requires that we pause and redirect our attention inward. Okay, so open your eyes and I'd like you to establish one person to go first and one person to go second. And the, the, the way I want to establish it is you can share your zodiac sign. Share your zodiac sign. <laughs> and so the 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 astrological sign that is uh, c- closer to A goes first. So the okay, and so. Are you both the same? No. Did you say that the first letter? If one of you is a Pisces and one of you is a Capricorn, the Capricorn goes first. It's closer to A. Uh, okay. 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 So. 
So hang on a second. You're one step in front of me. I thought we were going first. You're one step in front of me. So what I'd like you to do first, before we get into our lists, is I want you just to stay with what's happening in your body and just just say the feelings that you notice. I'm noticing my shoulders. I'm noticing my back. So it's no story, just what's the place that you're noticing it, okay? So go through, it's like a a verbal body scan. Head, shoulders, and the description. Heat, energy, pulsing, okay? So I will, and so that when you hear the sound of the bell, then begin, And then when you hear the sound of the bell again, that's an invitation to pause. And what I'd like you to do before you begin is to start with your eyes closed so that you start connected to your body. You start connected to your body. You feel your body. And the thing about these exercises is that we're learning to speak in a way that's different than ordinarily. Ordinarily, we speak in order to give story and context, in order to affirm, in order to have opinions, in order to... We have all kinds of social conventions. And this way of speaking is a little different. We want to keep it super simple. What is spoken of in the session between you stays confidential it's not shared out and your speaking when you speak is just from the immediacy of your own direct experience so we're not bringing in things that we've read or stuff that we've heard elsewhere we're just staying with the immediacy of our own experience okay are there any questions about any of that yes please No. So the person who's speaking speaks and the person who's listening listens. And when you're listening, it's actually a very important thing that you listen and stay connected to your body while you're listening. Okay? So that's your job, is to listen. You don't need to give affirmations or signals or or you don't need to, to convince the person that they are okay. You can be with your own experience and just notice your body as you are sitting there listening. Okay? Any other questions? You can keep your eyes open and your eyes do not need to be locked. So you don't need to be fixated on the other person's eyes. Your eyes can float. They can find a place that's easy. You can focus between the eyes or at the chest or at the forehead, wherever is comfortable. Any other questions? Okay? You okay with this? Yeah? Okay. So, first we start with the first person speaking, eyes closed, both people's eyes closed. Feeling your bodies, both of you feeling your bodies. And when you hear the sound of the bell, then very gently open your eyes, and when you feel ready to begin to share a body scan of immediacy of what's happening in the immediate present moment in your body.
So winding up what you're saying... Pausing and noticing what that felt like to speak. Now changing so that the person who was listening is now speaking and the person who's speaking is now listening. And again, starting with your eyes closed. And when you hear the sound of the bell, just very gently and softly opening your eyes. And when you feel ready, ready, share what's just the immediacy of what's happening in your body. You're going to be able to break in about 45 minutes.
Um, I'd like to go back to the first person speaking, and I'd like to invite you just to share uh, what is uh, of interest to you, what, what you'd like to share about the things that you discovered when you were looking at your habits, your pleasant, your habits of what happens when you are encountering pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences. So you have some time to just uh, talk about what is your experience? How do you, what are the habits that you have related to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral? Okay?
And so switching speakers and having the next one have a chance to talk. You both you both did it all together. <laughs> no. Okay, so for those who have not who have we can change and have the one who is speaking now silent and the one who is listening now speaking. And for the two who are, for those of you who all did it, you have more to share. You have more time to share. Okay.
So just acknowledge your partner in a way that feels mutual, respectful. And please take a break and be back here at 5 past 12, which is in nine minutes. And uh, there are all gender bathrooms upstairs and gendered bathrooms downstairs uh, if you need to use the bathrooms. 5 past 12. To be back in here at five past twelve. Ten minutes break. Nine minutes break. Nine minutes break. And if you guys could ring the bell in seven minutes. Thank you. Yes, no good, good. That's excellent. Thank you.
So, comments, shares, discoveries, questions. Can you run the mic so that we can, everyone can hear? Thank you. John, did you have your hand up? Yes. You should handle like it was an ice cream, so people can hear. Ice cream, okay. Like ice cream style. Ice cream. There I love go. ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really kind of noticed. Um, uh, I shouldn't say difficult, but certainly different from trying to to um, relate to someone else while staying very focused in my own body. I realize I don't do that much. And uh, it was an interesting practice, and I can see I can see uh, the joy of being able to do that, being a lot more present. And so, so it is not easy. It's not our habit. Our habit is not to be in our own body experience when we're spending time with another person. We fly out and yes. often fly in to the reality of somebody else and completely miss what's happening here. And so it is illuminating, it's revealing, but it's also, it's an edge of practice. Yeah. But the thing that's also interesting is that when you are fully present in your own experience, then it often is perceived as a huge asset by the other person, uh-huh. you know? And so the the you being fully with your own experience ends up being something that's deeply nourishing because you're present in a way that you cannot be when you're... So we get used to thinking that that's the way of being with somebody is to kind of dive into their experience, but we don't actually have the contrast to know that when somebody is fully present in themselves, it's very different and it's very nourishing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, John. Anything else? Mm. Anyone else want to share behind you? Um, on the same note, I I felt like I was trying to connect with Jody when she was speaking, and that felt pleasant. I, later, we. When we were talking, um, I realized that um, I, I didn't stop to think about my body when I was listening. I was feeling like I could see, um, I was trying to find similarities to what she was describing. She was noticing to what I had noticed. And that felt pleasant because it felt like I'm trying to connect to another human being. But then my mind started putting pictures, and not only was I connecting, but I also started trying to think about maybe the pain she was feeling on her knee. Um, so it's at the end, it was interesting to see how we escape our own experience where we're listening, and I, how I thought that was pleasant because I was somehow connecting. In my mind. So uh, what is important is to watch our patterns. That's what's really important, is to begin to get a sense of what our patterns actually are. 
And rather, uh, you know, we don't need to carve them up into is this good or bad. But what we need to do first is just to be aware. This, this is the habit. That when I'm listening, like what you're describing, that when you're listening, you didn't have that much sense of your own body experience. And then once you were started to feel or imagine what she was feeling, then there was all kinds of comparing, you know, how is this similar or dissimilar or how can I relate more? So we have this ability to connect. That's one of the gifts of being human, you know? And... And with that connection, we'll stimulate all kinds of thoughts, yeah? And how we are with those thoughts is going to have a big impact into what our experience is. So we don't need to, to organize the, them, but what is helpful is to wake up to them, to wake up to the patterns. Because as it's incredibly valuable to have time of silence and to let everything settle and to be able to feel the reality of our own experience. But how often can we spend time in silence? When we can bring awareness to the experience of speaking and do that where we are with our own body as we're doing that, when we have insight as we're speaking, there's a lot more opportunities in our daily life that are going to be filled up with opportunities to speak than they are in deep silence. So it's not as if the deep silent lessons, we can ignore them. But when we bring them together, then we have ways of practicing that are, we can bring home. Linda, did you have your hand up? No. Anybody else want to share? Comments, curiosities, discoveries, insights? Okay. <laughs> when I sat across from Jesse, I felt really solid in myself because I felt, for me, his being pretty solid in himself maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be saying, but um, the thing was that when he was talking, I was able to really pay attention more to myself given these instructions. However, when I started talking, in the beginning, he was very, for me, um, in his self. And the moment, just the moment he gave me any sort of facial recognition, I just, I was gone. I was gone. I wasn't with myself in the least. So is that a, a, a new thing for you to notice? That oh, for you to I've notice been working it? on this for quite a while. Yeah. But it was, it was really fascinating because it was so quick. And so when you saw that happened in this time, what was your response to that? It was like, oh my gosh, look, all he has to do is one tiny little wiggle in his face and I'm, I'm like lost from my connection with myself. And so, and so when you, as you're saying this, what's happening for you? Part of me is like, oh my gosh, you know, is it that easy to be lost and... You know, my body seems very real to me. I don't know how it's so easy to not be with myself more. I mean, in our prayer thing and chanting, 
I was really in my body, as you could tell, and I felt my body through and through and through. And so I just want to learn how to do that when I'm with people more. And I am learning, and this was a great exercise, so thank you. So uh, one of the things that happens when we do inquiry is that we get to see patterns uh, in maybe a, a different light. Mm-hmm. And, the, it, and so it, 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 it's not about having it not be there. It's about opening up to what's there in a way where we can be curious and, and use the information in a way that is supportive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's, it's a pretty natural thing that when we experience affirmation or recognition or validation, that for many of us, that's a really big thing. There's like a lot of longing or hunger for that. And so when we get that, it, it's, it doesn't surprise me that that would have a big impact. And so, you know, our own ability to see that, that our hunger for validation, for affirmation, for recognition, for being seen, it's, it's important to wake up to that, that that's part of what our, that's part of our experience and that that place, when we get that, is a place where we can lose connection with our own experience. So it seems to me like the clarity that you are seeing this pattern is important to notice. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because the can comfort. You, can you? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, the comfort that I experience in the exchange, that resting place mm. that you've alluded to, is so profound for me in my abdomen and in my breathing, and to be aware of my breathing and my body and my bigger body, whatever, is, is like a gift because that gives me the space to be here more fully present in either way. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so part of what we're wanting to do is to begin to feel where we can find that spaciousness and so, you know, I'm setting it up so to have more feeling of that spaciousness. And then, you know, we will bring that into m- more challenging circumstances, how we can find that when our minds are agitated or where we can find that when our body is in pain or, you know, how we can find that spaciousness, where we can, how we can move to that. Yeah, yeah. So that's the point. The, that's exactly the point. The point is to watch the patterns, to see the choices that we make, and how sometimes we move away from the basis that allows us to find more space. And moving away then will support the 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 acceleration. And that when we come back towards a basis that allows us to have the support, then we can make different choices that allows us to feel more. Calm, peaceful, joyful, spacious, peace, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have this fully worked out. You don't have to. (laughs) Um, Um... I was noticing for myself when we, when the opportunity 
to, I'm seeing that instead of myself going towards pleasant, that I'm actually going towards the unpleasant and then bringing up older stories that will match that or go towards that. Uh, an example was, uh, what was that? when I, so first I made it unique about myself, um, when I realized sharing with someone else, all I did was think about her trying to figure out what was going on with her. Uh, I had the same feelings, like just very empathic. So I, I recognized that afterwards. Then I made it unique about myself, like, oh, I was such an empath. And then, and then immediately what happened after that is that I put judgments on it. I went back to my childhood and this is why, and this is how all of that happened. So I was just noticing, and that really got me thinking, uh, just all the suffering and how it's kind of linked and it was just really interesting to see that maybe there's more choice there that maybe once I start to look at those things and be able to maybe have neutral <laughs> so part of our, what we're trying to do is we're trying to put shine a light into the black box and as we shine a line into the black box, we see things that's like, oh, I didn't know that was there. Oh, I didn't know that was there. I didn't see this connection before. I didn't recognize that my habit was to only look this way or to go that way, you know? So when we shine a light into the black box, we're trying to see the, the mechanics and to get a sense of the shapes of what's in that black box before we can begin to see, well, where are different choices that we can start making? So it's like when you have water and it runs down a, gut, a, a, a riverbed, it, it cuts the riverbed deeper. And, and it will run down that same riverbed until something shifts and that riverbed changes direction. Well, the same is true with our habits and our thoughts, is that it'll flow down a particular direction until we make another pathway for it to go. So before we can change the pathway, we have to recognize the movement. And then we can say, well, okay, this is the movement. Is this the direction that we want it to be going in? If it is, then there's nothing that we need to do. If our heart moves towards connection with our body and our heart inclines towards joy or towards peace or towards gratitude or towards a sense of confidence, there's nothing to do. But if our heart notices something and moves towards seeing everything wrong with ourselves or feeling sad or feeling grief or feeling depressed or feeling anxious, then maybe we can look at what are the patterns that give rise to that so that we can change the trajectory, that it's not always like that. Okay? So, good. Excellent. You're seeing, you're seeing what's in the black box. And that's the point. That's why we're that's why we're doing this, so we get more sense. And sometimes that the what's in the back box brings us a lot of inspiration, and sometimes it makes us feel sad. And and either are valid responses. Yeah. Yeah. Noticed. Uh kind of a fascination with the neutral category or I maybe discovered because I noticed that neutral is something I just really just never think about, never reflect on. 
So that yesterday and today has been really valuable. And, you know, the body is a great example. Just fingers and toes, things that feel neutral on my body right now. I guess I noticed a connection with ignorance. Because if any of these body parts were to become injured, immediately I would start complaining about it. And would not feel neutral at all. I would come... I would be talking about it, I'm sure, especially in my head. And I noticed a connection with that of attachment, really deep attachment. You know, like this finger right here, I feel neutral. If you asked me 10 seconds ago, oh, neutral. But if it were to become injured, I would, I, the truth is, I'm actually really attached to everything in my body. All these things that it's supposedly I feel neutral about, really, if anything were to happen to them, this so-called neutral that's in my head, actually there's attachment there because I want them to keep operating the way they're operating. So it's wonderful that you're seeing all of this. And for many of us, we're not at all dialed into neutral because you know we live in a culture that doesn't promote neutral. It promotes horror and it promotes excitement. It does not promote neutral. And so we have no support uh, culturally, emotionally, relationally, to focus on neutral. And the reality is, is that a disproportionate amount of life is neutral. And so when we start waking up to neutral, there's a kind of aliveness and vibrancy that we start to feel when we're paying attention to a disproportionate amount of life that otherwise just went by because it's not grabbing our attention, it's not horrifying, it's not exciting. There's nothing about neutral that affirms me as an important person. Okay? It just, it's just, it's neutral. There's nothing about neutral that's exciting. It's neutral. It's not exciting. It's not horrifying. It's not scary. It's not, it's just neutral. And so we miss it. And uh, we miss a lot because it's neutral. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so just learning to wake up to neutral is is a huge movement on becoming more alive. But it's also a wonderful medicine because anytime we are stuck in loops around what's horrifying or stuck in loops around something that's ecstatic and wanting more, we can focus our attention back to neutral. And that gives us ballast and context and an antidote to the spinning of one or the spinning of the other. But we have to notice neutral before we have that as an option. When we don't notice neutral, it's not an option. So in the contemplations of contact and feeling, there is a lot what we can do with exploring neutral. Because for many of us, our habits are, we get distracted, we start thinking, we start spacing out, we start fantasizing, we start imagining, we start trying to manipulate. All kinds of things happen as habit patterns in response to neutral, rather than just curiosity about what does neutral feel like. So some of our like inability to be with our bodies is our response to neutral. We're not used to it. And so what we start daydreaming, we start fantasizing, we start free associating, we start 
imagining going to the Bahamas because wouldn't that be better? <laughs> and then realize, well, I'm actually on a meditation retreat at Spirit Rock. Maybe the practice is to be with my body here. Oh, but my body feels neutral. And I don't, I don't know how to be with neutral in a comfortable way. So like everything, it's a practice. And that practice gives us the ability to have more choices. And that choice of being able to be with neutral is going to have an impact about the quality of life that we live. So it's like, all right, so imagine you go through a situation. You walk through a field and you notice 3% of what's there. And then another day you walk through and you notice 20%. And then another day you walk through and you notice 60%. And then another day you notice and you walk and you notice 80%. This is what happens when we start waking up to neutral. We're getting a lot more information. It becomes a lot more vivid. Can I go? (laughs) Jesse, thank you so much for sharing what you say. And um, it's very powerful. You know, at the beginning, say, oh, what is this about? Like it was something simple. And I feel so lucky to be, you know, able to listen to everyone. But what you say, Jesse, um, when I was doing the list, I kind of feel even bad. My laundry list are the unpleasant <laughs> reactions. And then the pleasant, you know, but when I went to the neutral, and I say, wow, how am when I am neutral? And the first thing that I put, contemplation. And then when Brooke was talking, describing the body, uh, I called myself and my natural habit to take the problem of other persons and me trying to resolve as a mother, uh, working in the health system, as an ex-wife, <laughs> resolving the problems and the other person. When she started describing because when I describe, I say I feel my body pretty much neutral. I just feel some kind of presence in some areas. I cannot talk. I cannot say that are painful or not. But when Brooke start describing every single piece of the body, I start feeling like I was checking if I was okay in that area, if I have pain. And I say, wow, no, my body is neutral. And I say, wow. And when you were talking, I say. My second thing in the neutral, I feel grateful. So for me, neutral now, it's like the, now I say, wow, is the a space that we don't explore. Mm-hmm. And I felt my whole body, I was so happy inside because I was um, with a very um, painful illness with rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. many years ago. So my whole body was so painful. I couldn't walk for two years. So I say, wow, the blessing is in the neutral. And now that you say and you are describing, mm-hmm. I say, wow, that is the space that I want to explore more. Yeah. Because even as you were talking, yeah. you know, seeing the same scenario, how many times you yeah. don't see anything. So thank you so much. You kind of, and also what Lindsay say, you know, I recognize myself going to that childhood moment when there were problems in my house, my brother was very sick, my mom has a lot of problems, she was a 
um, uh, gynecologist with so many patients, so so much suffering, and the dies, lady die, or the baby was born. So I just tried to make like the clown of the house, you know. Yeah. There is no problem with me. Yeah. I am okay. Yeah. <laughs> and trying and like someone else will suffer, I will just jump and no, 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 no. Yeah. And then I got cut and that thing yeah. that I am a human too. Yeah, yeah. So thank yeah. you. And it's beautiful to, yeah. I'm very grateful with you and to be in a space that we can share. And, uh, and kind of you like my life today, like, wow. And sharing this uh, human experience, it's so profound and and I feel grateful to feel neutral in so many parts of my body that before went like a laundry list yes yes and so when we open up neutral it's like a whole it's like it's like undersea diving it's like yes. we've we're discovering a universe we've never even seen before exactly and that opens up all kinds of new opportunities yes. Yes. and you can see space and you can see uh choices and you can see context and and so that is the gift of this practice is that we are looking into this black box and seeing things that we've never seen before and as we see them it's like we win the lottery you know of there's these whole new things to explore we've never seen yeah yeah so profound thank you Agnes, did you have something you wanted to say? I was just thinking, It's. I think it's hard for me anyway to stay in neutral because the minute you notice something, you're grateful for it. So, I don't know. I mean, like, even just driving on the freeway, you know, you, you wake up and say, oh, I'm driving on the freeway. And you say, well, I'm really grateful. The car is moving past 30 miles an hour. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, um, I don't, I've ne- I, I don't think I, I don't, I can't relate to staying in neutral, I guess is what I'm saying. But maybe I'll try to figure it out. So, Agnes, you don't have to have somebody else's experience. Your experience is fine just as your experience is. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so, and so... And so when, when you're listening to other people's experience, you can notice the impact, but yours doesn't have to be theirs. You can have your own experience of just moving into gratitude as something that you're familiar with. And let it be that way. Yeah, okay, that's a good lesson. All right. Yeah. I have a question. Um, How do you stay neutral when you're a highly sensitive person or empathetic person? I don't know that I I would verbalize it that you stay neutral. I would say that in any picture... There's going to be things that are positive, things that are unpleasant, and things that are neutral. So it isn't about staying neutral. It's about noticing what we're noticing and seeing if we have can increase our choice about where we focus our attention. Okay? I'm also an empathetic and highly sensitive person, and it's taken me decades 
to understand how to navigate my sensitivity and how to deal with my empathy. And I have all kinds of supportive tools that I have used, and one of them is nature. So when my system gets flooded or overwhelmed with input or impact, I go to nature as a support. And when I relax in nature, then that makes available to me more choice about where I focus my attention. Until I do that, I have very little choice. It's like my system is like overfull with too much of whatever. And it's hard for me to notice choice and space in that. It's like filling a balloon up with too much air. It's like the whole thing needs to decompress before I have choice about how full it is or not full. So for myself, there's been a long learning about how to regulate my own nervous system and to manage the sensitivity. And as I do that, I have more choice about what I focus on. And being in my body has also been part of my ability to manage this. The more I stay grounded, the more the input and impact can move through me into the ground. But that's a whole other conversation. And so maybe when we get come back after lunch, I'll do some energy medicine exercises that help us protect and shield because... When you do that before you leave your house, it makes so that you can navigate some of the impact a little bit easier. Okay? So it's lunchtime now. And so let's come back at 1.35 in an hour. And um, I was going to have us all meet outside to do Qigong, but I'm afraid it's a little bit too cool out. It's windy out. I'm afraid it's going to be a little bit too cold for people. Let's let's um well let's meet in here and if it's okay we'll just go outside on the patio. Okay? Yeah. Okay. See you in an hour. So my encouragement during the hour is if it's possible to not get too chatty just to keep your practice with your eating and your body and so that we hold the container uh, uh, rather than disperse it and make it diffuse with lots of chat, 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 chat. Okay? Good. See you in a bit. Vuoi che apri la finestra?
Well, I think it's too windy to be outside. Yeah. So let's... Too cold? Yeah. So let's stand up. And uh, does it help us to put some of the chairs that we're not using in the corner so that we have more space? Just the chairs we're not using. That's good. Then we have more space to spread out. Spreading out is a nice thing. And also, can I bring attention to the shrine? You're welcome to put names of people on the shrine, or you're welcome to put yourself on the shrine, or members of your family on the shrine. All righty. So knees, knees have a hard time on these retreats. So let's give knees a little bit of attention. And one of the things that I do is I hold them. And as I hold them, they speak to me. And, and they have a, a few unpleasant things to say. So slowly, and just feeling into the nuances of the sensations... opening and now the other direction good and now brushing down And padding. Okay, awesome. And just letting the arms rotate and hit the kidneys and the shoulders. Slowing down and coming to a stop. And just breathing in. And then this time when we're breathing in, just allow the breath to fill up our body, move through our body, and then exhale and extend into the heavens. And then breathe from the heavens and let the breath come in. The chi of the air come in and move down into the earth. So we're moving chi from the earth through our body to the heaven. 
and from the heaven into our body and down to the earth. So it might be that initially we experience this as just imagination. And we can augment our experience with a sense of energy as somehow a visualization, something that represents energy extending through your fingers and extending through your feet. But we can learn to feel the chi and move it through our body. And so the reason for being outside is there's more chi in the trees and the grass, even if it is more cool. But I understand it's really helpful to not get too cold. Alrighty. And so I said before we left that I would do some exercises that would help you um, particularly some of us have sensitivity, extra sensitivity, and we, when we go outside we get bombarded. So I just want us to tap a couple parts of our body. And here. And here. Here. And when we do this, can you notice the difference? Can you notice that you feel a little bit more awake? Feel a little bit more energy? Yeah. So these are activating certain meridians, and the meridians then bring more chi in the system, and when there's more chi in the system, we have more capacity. So another thing that we can do is rub our hands together. This is an energy medicine technique I learned from Donna Eden's book called Energy Medicine. So it's called the Celtic Weave, and she figured this out. So you rub your hands together, and then let the energy pour into your sides of your head. Let it pour in, pour in, pour in. And then you touch your elbows, and then cross over. And then you allow this energy to weave, like in a Celtic weave, in front of you just in front of you, and bending down as far as you feel at ease. And if you feel comfortable touching the ground, touching the ground, and letting the earth energy and the heaven energy mix, and let it create this waterfall that both cleanses you internally and protects you externally. Let's do this one more time. Let it pour in, pour in, pour in. Touching the elbows and crossing over and then weaving. And touching the floor if you can, letting heaven and earth energy mix and letting this protective internal, external cleanse and waterfall move around and through you. And one more time.
are weaving. Letting the earth energy and the heaven energy come together and mixing and letting it protect you. So another thing that we can do is zip up. So we just, um, we just zip up, and when we zip up, we bring to mind the things that we want, the health, the well-being, the joy, the goodness. We want those things, so we have to be clear about what they are, and we let them be part of our aspiration as we zip up. So in the morning time, I have an energy medicine routine, and I have my aspirations that I bring, and I zip myself up with them. So zipping up the Celtic weave, they are very helpful ways of getting ourselves so that we are protected. So now, let's say we're outside and stuff happens, and so there's impact. So if we take our hands, cross them, and and go like this, this is a protection. Just this, uh, this is a protection. So if you in in the in the presence of somebody who's angry or you've just gotten bombarded with something, you're feeling uncomfortable, this is a protection. Another protection is just to draw small little figure eights on your forehead. This um, brings together the left and the right sides of the hemisphere, and this will also help you. So from an energy perspective, the more we have a strong energy field, a chi field that is grounded, that by itself is protective. And that the more we can do these protective exercises, that also helps us. Okay? So uh, let's shake out, shake our hands. And let's uh, let our heels hit the floor. And then let's do some tapping. We start with tapping the inside. And then the inside of the knee. The outside of the knee. Upside. Then the wrist. Gentle, gentle, gentle. Just notice. Notice a little bit of energy movement and what happens. What how does the body feel? Yeah. So anything that we can do to get our body on board. Good. On board. Present so that we can feel it. It feels alive. It feels energized.
Tapping, yeah, energizes. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so let's just stand here for a couple of moments and allow, if we are able, if you're able, without uh, you can trust yourself, and just let whatever it is that we notice in our body And allow our body to relax, invite relaxation. Behind the eyes and in the jaw and the neck. Shoulders. The back. The lower back. The buttocks the legs. Feet. The front of the legs. The front of the thighs. The lower abdomen. Diaphragm. Chest. Fingers. Forearm. Upper arm throat, face. Now, notice the face as a, as a physical experience. There's a, a lot about our face as a story but notice it as a physical experience. Where there's tightness, where there's ease, where you feel the contact of the air. The amount of space that your face takes up. What's noticeable, what's not so noticeable. So look for where you are not feeling any sensation in your face. So the direct experience of our face is a very different experience than the ideas, opinions, and views that we have about our face.
So you can notice the physical experience. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Face. And you can notice if any of the habits that you were aware of earlier, if they're present as you are attending to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral as a physical experience in your face. When you feel ready, you can shift posture to sitting and continue with the exploration.
First foundation is staying with body, posture, breath, sensations, elements, parts. Second foundation is the feeling, tone of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Third foundation is what's going on in the mind. Is it bright? Is it dark? Is it open? Is it contracted? Are we thinking? Are we planning? Hoping? Now when we are present with what's arising in the mind, observing it, we're not lost in the stories. We're not hijacked. It's like a cloud that's arising in the sky. We're aware We're aware of the pattern of wanting. We are watching the wanting and the not wanting. And sometimes what happens is is that it's too strong. And so then what the next thing that we can do is we can shift our focus of attention to the second foundation or the first foundation Where we focus our attention in meditation as well has a lot to do with what is happening and how we're relating to it. So even when the teacher gives the instruction, open up to the third foundation, if your own experiences is that you're getting flooded, then make a wise choice and keep it simpler. Stay with your body. Stay with the feeling tone. When there is enough settledness in your body, when you feel your body, your body is grounded and is alive and is present, you can move between first, second, and third foundation as they arise, just letting your attention relax and rest. Noticing what's arising. And returning to what is simple and easier to stay connected to when that's helpful.
If you are spacing out because you're a little bit tired, notice that. And make a choice that allows you to have more energy. Up. Open your eyes. Stand up. Put your hands over your head. Take some deep breaths. Pull your earlobes. Count. Bring a little bit more sensation into your hands by contracting your fingers. So meditation is responsive. Immediate. Alive, present, connected.
Can you go get Romy? Thanks. Thank you. Creative problem solving. So um, I'm going to ask you some questions. What's this? What's this? What's this? What's this? What's this? What's this? What's that? What's that? What's that? So one of the things that's very useful about language is is that it helps us organize things and it gives us some clarity and so that we can point to things, we can write things, we can use words and people will have a general idea about what we're talking about. Okay? So there's value in language and there's value in concepts. The way our brains work, I think there's like 10,000, I don't know, there's 10,000 synapses and 10,000 different ways that they can connect. And so there's an infinite number of impressions that can be coming through. We would be constantly overwhelmed if we had no language and no categories to filter information and to put it into certain places. So stories are useful because it helps us organize the things that we're experiencing. If everything constantly was completely unknown all of the time, we would be overwhelmed and we would not be able to process it. So the fact that we can point to this and everyone said bell and everyone said glass and everyone said hat. It's like we see this, we recognize it, there's a word that it fits into, there's a story that we have about it that makes sense. It's useful. Stories serve a useful purpose in a certain context. But when we push it a little bit, when we push the envelope a little bit, then we end up needing to deconstruct our stories in order to come to a different understanding, okay? So when we look at this, originally I said, what is this? And everyone agreed this is a glass. But this is a glass because it's filled with water and I'm drinking it. If it had a bunch of flowers in it, it would be a vase, If I turned it upside down and I put a small little Buddha on top of it, it would be a stand. If I used it to hit somebody, it would be a weapon. So the glass is a story, it's a label that we have based on our associations with it and the way that it's being used. 
Yeah? Okay. This is a hat. And when I put it on my head, you can see that it's a hat. But if I roll it up and I stick it under my knee, it becomes a cushion. It's not a hat. So hat is a designation that we give when it is being used in a particular way. It doesn't have inherent hatness as its nature. Just like this doesn't have inherent glassness and water as its nature. It's true for everything. How many of us drove in a car to get here today? Okay? So, a car, you get in the car, you open the door, you put the key in the ignition if you've got keys, not those fancy widgets that you stick in your pocket that somehow magically turn the car on. You turn the key on, and it goes. You put on the gas pedal, and you drive, right? But the car is also a designation. If you were clever, or your mechanic was clever, they could take the car apart. You could take the body of the car into separate pieces. There would be tires and axles. There would be the steering wheel. There would be a transmission. There would be an engine. There would be a gas tank. There would be windshield wipers. There would be seats. There would be the, 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 the hood and the trunk. All of the pieces of the car we could separate out. And we could put the liquids in different buckets, gas and oil and windshield wiper fluid and transmission fluid and the electrics in another bucket. And when you have all of this on the sidewalk, you do not have a car. You've got a pile of junk. (laughs) But if you have an exceptionally clever mechanic, they could put it all back together again and then you could take the key put it in the ignition, and it'll go again. So car is a designation that's related to all of the parts coming together in a relationship of space and time. It doesn't have inherent existence in any of the parts. There's no car that you can find inside of any of those parts. So it's a label, and it's based on our familiarity of how we relate to it and use it. How many here cook? Okay. So do you make apple pies? Do you make casseroles? Do you make eggs? (laughs) Do you boil water? Who's down for boiling water? (laughs) So we need a pot, we need a stove, and we need water to boil water. If we have one of those ingredients missing, we don't have boiled water. It all has to come together. So you can put water in a pot but not turn on the stove. You don't have boiled water. Or you can turn the stove on and turn the stove off before it boils. You don't have boiled water. All of those things need to come together in a sequence of time in order to have boiled water. But you can't find the designation in any of it. 
Now, sometimes what happens... This is a striker. It's for a bell, right? And so, does anybody have any adverse reaction to this? No. It's neutral. Yeah? And if I use it for the bell... Is it positive, neutral, or unpleasant? (laughs) Contextual. Very right. It's completely contextual. So what might be pleasant because I ring it at one level can become incredibly unpleasant if I ring it too loudly. Very brilliant observation. Now, if I use this and wallop somebody and it hurts them, And then you see this again, it's very likely that what happens is is that you have a really strong reaction because your association with this is intensely unpleasant. Okay? It's not the striker. This is not actually the cause of the unpleasant feeling. It's the connection of the memory with the object and the feeling associated with it. It's not in the object. There isn't anything pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral that's inherent in the object. It's in our association with it. So, it's true for pleasant things. There's this wonderful story. Ajahn Ajahn Menindo. Menindraji was Deepama's teacher. Menindraji was this wonderful... um, meditation teacher, and he had this thing for Bengali sweets. Have you ever had Bengali sweets? Bengali sweets are like sweeter than sugar. It's milk sugar, and it is so sweet. It's just incredible. So he had a hankering for Bengali sweets, and so he decided after he's a meditation teacher, he knows how to focus his mind, but all of the things he did, all of the magic wands, all of the instructions, and none of it was working. He was still craving Bengali sweets. So he decided that he was going to go and buy a pound of Bengali sweets. A pound of Bengali sweets is like, I don't know what it's like, it's like five pounds of raw sugar, you know? And mindfully eat every single one of them. (laughs) So maybe for the first two it was pleasant. By three-quarters of a pound, it probably was unpleasant. And by the whole pound, it was intensely unpleasant. So what starts out as pleasant can change when the context changes. There isn't anything that's inherently pleasant or inherently unpleasant. It is absolutely connected to the context And the context is highly determined by our familiarity and the story we've been telling ourselves about it. Now, we can use this in a way that is supportive or we can use this in a way that is is not supportive. It is supportive when we have more choice. It is supportive when we can turn something that is an activation into something that's either neutral or positive. It's not supportive when we take a normalized nervous system and we put ourselves into a panic attack. (laughs) Or we contribute 
to having a panic attack or we sustain a panic attack. That's not helpful. And it has everything to do with where we're focusing and how we are paying attention to it. So, let me think. Let's suppose you have allergies. And grass makes you have hay fever. And so you sneeze and your eyes weep and you feel uncomfortable because of the allergies. All right? And so then you come to Spirit Rock and you think, And so you look and you think, oh my goodness, I'm going to sneeze and I'm going to cry and I'm going to be miserable and it's, oh my goodness, and look and there's grass and it's everywhere and I can't get away from it and the pollen and, and oh my, and oh my, and oh my. <laughs> so the way we think about something is going to have a big impact about the way that we feel. And the way that we feel is going to impact our body. And our body then is going to be under the influence of this and then react. Now, it is, might be true that you do have allergies and it might be true that grass is activating for you. And so when you come here, then it might be helpful to look at the trees, not to look at the grass. So that you don't focus on the thing that's activating, you focus on the thing that is, you're, you're good with trees, you're fine with trees. So we turn our attention away from the things that can activate towards that which allows our system to be calm and to be cool. Until we have some perspective and then we have some ability to navigate what's happening and then to make choices. When we have discernment, we can make a decision. Am I going to be okay being here? Or is this too much? But when our systems are flooded, our capacity to make wise choices is highly impacted. Our choices reduce considerably. And usually what happens is that we are reacting rather than responding. Okay, so let's say I was nasty and walloped somebody on the head and it hurt them. You come in and you see this and you go, (gasps) but the discernment is there and you think that is a memory connected to something that happened in the past. There isn't any sign that tells me that that's going to happen now. I'm not actually in risk to come into the room when I see this. This is not a danger. So that there's the discernment to be able to see I'm activated. The activation is connected to a past memory. There is nothing in the present moment that signals I need to be concerned. I can work with this as an internal experience. This is arising in my mind. It's not something out there I need to protect myself from. That is the power of meditation. 
we can be able to make those differentiations between what is an activation that's coming from a memory that is connected to a present experience that is triggering thoughts as opposed to something that we need to actually navigate right now. You with me? So, in a system that is able to regulate, meaning that we can have these activations but they calm down in a reasonable amount of time, we have the ability to make those discernments. For a system that is jammed in a stress response, the system is constantly flooded with danger signals. There's constant danger signals. Everywhere you look, there's danger signals that are being activated. And so then what is needed in a situation like that is to not come into the room until you go to a place where your nervous system can calm down and there can be the capacity to see that it was an activation. Because when the system is jammed, it's actually hard to track what is what. Everything feels like it's dangerous. And it's hard to discern what's coming from my mind and the memories that I've had and what's actually here in the room. Yes, Pam. Right, so somatic experiencing or neuroplasticity is helpful in being able to take a system back to a place of normalcy so that we can make wise choices. Is this, uh... So the Buddha's instructions is to pay attention to something when it is skillful. And what we're navigating in our modern world is a level of stress that is in a lot of people's systems that I don't know was present in the Buddha's time, where the level of people navigating this kind of arousal and activation is like for people regularly. So the languaging around bringing it up into a regular meditation class is a modern adaptation that is contextual because it's a lot of, it's related, it's relevant for a lot of people. But the instructions to pay attention to what is skillful goes back to ancient texts. It's just that the science of neuroplasticity and somatic experiencing and how to nuance it so that you actually stay skillful, it that is coming out of modern applications. Yeah. So, it, in this context, you, it's possible to hear an instruction to stay with something that's difficult until it passes. But when our systems are jammed into a stress response, we don't have the ability to stay with something that's difficult until it passes. Because the overriding experience is that it's difficult. So in that context, what's skillful is not to pay attention to what's difficult, 
to notice that we're activated and to turn our attention towards what's pleasing, what's calming, what's joyful, what's allowing our system to relax. Okay? So there's several parts of this instruction. One is the contextualization of how we label things and the fact that things are all contextual. Everything is contextual. This as a glass of water is entirely contextual of me drinking it. If I stuck a bunch of flowers in it, it's no longer a glass of water, it's a vase. Okay? So everything is contextual. And so how we relate to the meditation instruction is also contextual. And the context is, is does it bring more spaciousness, more ease, more clarity? Or does it compound the sense of tightness, constriction, the sense of, of stress? If it's compounding, it's not skillful. If it's allowing more ease, then it is skillful. In a simple way of looking at it, there's plenty of applications that take this and, you know, you've got it because there's all kinds of practices that are not pleasant, but they open up and they lead to a lot of peace. You know, we can stay with a contemplation that is, that is not easy or pleasant, but it can be very fruitful, you know. If you can speak into um, like yeah. like the Dalai Lama, you know he's always happy. For instance, well, uh, the way I see the Dalai Lama is that his capacity for happiness is very high. But I've also seen him cry, and when he's crying, he's not happy. And so his ability to experience intense emotion is—I've seen him be with intense sadness and cry, and then not very much longer switch gears and laugh. So he can manage intense feeling. It moves through him, and then he has available to him laughter. That's what I've observed. Mm -hmm. I don't actually know what his direct experience is, so I would only be like imagining it. But yes, gratitude and is is a good place to dwell. And if that is a place where you are constantly turning your attention towards, that is a very skillful dwelling place. And so, for example, you know, people can train themselves when something is irritating or aggravating or causing them to feel anger. Instead of allowing their mind to move into anger and to follow the scenarios of enacting anger, they can turn their attention towards the gratitude they have for this as an opportunity for practice. And so it becomes a moment, a teaching opportunity. And then the, the heart opens to the feeling of gratitude for learning all the things that you need to learn in this. Patience and persistence and perspective and forgiveness. And all of those things are valuable things to learn. So rather than dwell on the things that are aggravating, irritating, frustrating, inconvenient... 
you turn towards what is helpful and supportive and good about this experience. And that's the beauty, is that there's the choice about where we focus our attention. So it's possible that something happened that was really frustrating. And you have every right in the world to be aggravated by it. You still have a choice where you put your attention. And that's the key. That's the key. That is the key. You have the choice until you relinquish that choice. Sometimes the choice is relinquished for us when our health collapses or when our mental capacities fade or when we have made a a successive number of choices that then makes it much harder for us to make another choice at the end. So there are some choices that we make that then disable our capacity to make choices. But until we get to that place where we have relinquished choice, either intentionally or through a series of choices where that has been the result, until we get there, we have choice about where we focus our attention. And that is our freedom. So we can experience things that are pleasant. We can experience things that are unpleasant. We can experience things that are neutral. That comes with the territory of having, having a body or a mind. That comes with the package. There's nothing any of us can do to exempt ourselves from that. But what we do with that has to do with our choice, and our choice has to do with the way in which we have trained our mind. If our habit every time we get angry is to stuff our anger or to explode, those are the two choices, the two flavors of preference, stuff it or explode it. The more we stuff it, the more we get used to stuffing it and our body will be impacted. The more we explode, the more we get used to exploding, the easier it is to lash out, to verbally lash out or physically lash out the next time that happens. But at any point, at any point, We have choice. And there are some places where it's easier to have choice than others. So, you come in the door and you see this and your body goes... You can turn around and walk outside and stand in front of the Buddha statue and you can think, what's happening in my body? And you can feel the activation. You can feel the blood. You can feel the breath. You can feel the heat. You can feel the sweat. You can feel whatever it is that you feel when you're activated. Or you can feel your system freeze where you can feel like nothing. You just don't feel anything. Or you can feel like you just want to run out of here. Now, if you're in front of the Buddha and you notice all of those things... You can look at the Buddha's face, which is beautiful and peaceful. And, and your, your, your system can start to calm by looking at something that's beautiful and peaceful. 
And then as you start to calm, you can have more choices about where you focus your attention and what you need to do. But before you get to that place of discernment, you're operating on instinct. It's just whatever the strongest impulse it's driving you, that's what you're operating on. There's very little choice in instinct. So we want to open the window, open the places where we have choice. We want to make choices that give us more choices. We want to move away from choices that constrict our choices. And we want to see how all of this is connected to the way we think, the way we view, the ideas that we have about, about stuff. So I would like you to, again, uh, move into buddies, partners, and I'd like to invite an inquiry session and, and to see through this inquiry session what emerges in terms of insight that we have about the way that we relate to ourselves, to the ideas and the views that we have about ourselves. So pick another partner and buddy up, face each other. So that's what happens when we're in relationship with each other is that there's all kinds of dynamics that are going on and part of what we are needing to learn is how to navigate the variety of things that arise when we're relating to each other in a way that feels congruent, that where we stay connected and we are as present and honest as possible. So, um, are you partnered up? Yeah? Okay, good. One partner escaped. (laughs) I'll wait till the partner comes back. So this time I'd like to invite the person with the shorter hair to go first. And if it's a tie, you can figure it out. And the person going first 
what you are going to be doing, your the firstness is asking the question. You're gonna, it's going to be a repeating question. So what I'm inviting the person to go first is just to continue to ask the question, who are you? Who are you? And when you're, the person is responding, the one with the longer hair is responding, just don't think about it. Don't try and figure it out. Just say what feels, what's arising for you in the moment, okay? And then as soon as they finish speaking, then the person who's asked the question says thank you. And then ask the question again. So the intention is to keep asking the same question, the same question, the same question, and to have it be alive each time you ask the question. And for the person responding to be fresh and alive with each time you answer. And if we're going to do this for several minutes, okay? And just see what arises. Just see what arises and speak what arises. Are you with me? Are the instructions clear? Yeah? Yes. 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 That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And yet, the only thing, only thing is, is that after you respond, Brooke says thank you, and then ask the question again. Okay. Now, both of you, if you can stay with your body as you're asking, see how that is. Yes. You come you you come up with what is arising for you every time. And so if it's a different answer every time, yes, and if it's the same answer every time, then no. So stay with what's arising for you. And don't try and think about it too much. Any other questions? You okay? Okay.
changing so that the person who was asking is now responding and the person who was responding is now asking, who are you?
So if you can come back to the circle after expressing appreciation to your partner. So, how was that? Unpleasant. Would anyone like to take the mic and talk more, share more? Thank you. Or are there insights or questions that arise as a result of that? Well, while I was um, speaking and trying to come up with an answer, I couldn't help but also overhear. Uh, the environment around me and other answers and mine were very different Um, the type of answers that I was saying at one point was just I am and that was it that was my answer Um, who are you and my first answers were I am the conscious part of me living in a human experience and each time I was asked, who are you? I kept thinking, okay, well, I'm just in the present right now, so I just, I just am. Um, and so how is it for you to say that now? How is it for you to share this? Well, now I'm happy with it, because, you know, I used to say, when I was younger, we're human beings, but we're not doing the, the being part sometimes, um, but I'm actually okay with my answer. I, at first I thought, oh, maybe I'm not in the right track, but that's what we are here. Yes, and so there's always opportunities for us to compare ourselves with others. And there's this constant thing happening. Am I right? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Is it okay for me to have my experience? And one of the things that we need to recognize is there's a... There's a social context about are we in context or out of context. So if you showed up naked, I would say that's out of context. (laughs) But for you to have your own experience is in context. You're invited to have whatever experience you have answering that question. 
And it's true, we do hear each other and we are impacted. So there's part of us that's with our own experience and part of it is hearing somebody else's experience and part of us is comparing the two to see whether mine is like or different than theirs and if it's okay for me to have my experience. And all of this is arising in the present moment. That's all something that you can be aware of. But what's also interesting is to know that who you are isn't also fixed. How many times did it shift over the times that you asked that question? Yeah. So our perception of ourselves, or the answer that we give to that question will also change with time or with repetitiveness or with the levels of where we are in answering it. There isn't just one answer. So that was the, the part that I was kind of laughing with myself. Um, I was taking a lot of time to answer because what I wanted to say was no longer a reflection of the next present moment, which is continuously changing because it's always present, but I wasn't the person that was a second ago. And so, and at the same time, I'm a culmination of different memories that I've lived, but if I was really that right now, I'd be freaking out or, you know, reactive, which I'm not. (laughs) Right now, I'm just present right here. So my answer was, I am. And that's, that's what it boiled down to for me. Thank you. I found sort of the different identities that I'm going through the world with were easy to come up. So I started with that, my name, my gender, my profession, what I like to do. And as he kept asking a question, I started to grasp and uh, having more of a difficulty with how to answer it. So then I realized I wasn't in my body. So I went back into my body. And then it was more about what was happening in my body at, at that point. So it was still a very much a very difficult position to be in, being hearing the same question over and over. Um, but then... When the roles were turned, um, it wasn't easier to keep asking the same question to someone else. Um, and then again, I think it's because I was not in my body. Um, I was more um, probably trying not to send... Uh, not have an expression, I guess, so thinking too much about it. But then once I started getting into my body, I felt like a little more relaxed and like the person could tell. Like, so I would say it was a difficult experience. <laughs> so there's many things about this. One is, is that, you know, we have social conventions about how much we reveal. And this is um, really edgy 
in terms of what we're normally used to or what we share. Normally, we don't speak about things like this. And secondly, we're not used to this kind of conversation where it's not about story and content, but it's about inquiry is a very different way than we normally relate. Normally, we're sharing with a purpose of of connecting and to share a story or to share an experience. But this is sharing inquiry. And so I, I, I understand, I, I feel, I get that it, it can be uncomfortable. But what for me is interesting is to see that when you hear yourself say all of those different identities, does it help you see those identities from a different perspective when you just name them like that? Yeah. Yeah. And so that was part of the reason why, is is that normally all of these identities are operating and we're not that conscious of them. They're just operating. But we don't have the perspective of this is who we take ourselves to be. A this and a that, a daughter, you know, a woman, uh, a boss, a mother, or whatever the roles are. So when we begin to see how we have labeled ourselves, then that gives us some perspective of the lenses through which we are experiencing the world. Because those labels can be small designations or they can be habits, depending on how we relate to them. And they can influence the impact of how we experience the world. But it's hard for us to have choices around when we don't even know the habits in the way that we identify with ourselves. Anybody else? I would be curious at some point to hear the different patterns that emerged if there was a is you know we have somebody that was going and clearly in front of me his name I forget sorry into the more what I would perceive to be spiritual evolutionary state as I looked at uh, my partner in the exercise and I I was I don't know if there's a gender trend or not but I was very impressed by how quickly she went into states of feeling uh, for me I was not not surprised at how stuck I was in states of what I would consider identity, the roles I play. Um, and it just kept coming up and coming up until I eventually, suddenly, I am a person, kept staying and just repeating, uh, and then eventually moved towards the states of um, not present feeling emotions, but the longings that I have. I am a person who wants to make a difference. I'm a person who wants to leave a legacy. I'm a person who wants to be remembered after I die. Things, you know, things along those lines. So um, I would guess that each of us, whatever might have defaulted to something different, but there's some insight in what each of us defaulted to. So we do have different experiences and there's different bandwidths that we can touch into and each of us, that bandwidth is going to be true and relevant for where we're at, you know. Um, my omission, normally when I do these instructions, I bring guidelines and I read them and in the guidelines, there's the instruction to share as much or as little as you feel comfortable with. And I didn't read the guidelines, and I realized that that was a mistake. Uh, 
Because just setting it up so that people know that they are welcome to share as much as they are a little that they want to then gives more choice around you can have things come up into your mind that you don't feel comfortable sharing and you're completely welcome not to speak that stuff. You can just pause until something else comes into your mind and, and then share that. I was sharing everything that came to mind, and it still was identity states and yeah. roles. Yeah, well, it's, that's, you know, that's, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. And, and I don't know that it's helpful for us to hear how, where everybody else is at, because we're in different places, and that's fine. What's helpful is for us to notice where we're at and then how that shapes the way we look and see about ourselves and shapes the choices that we feel about where we can place our attention next. That's what's important, is to get a connection between the, the habits that we have and the way that influences our choices. So we can, be, we can feel like... Uh, the only thing that's available to us is this much because that's all we're used to. But then when we start looking at things differently, then it's possible that what can happen is, is that this can start to move. And I can see as somebody that apparently defaults to roles and identity states and how I perceive myself that I would be potentially more likely to be triggered or add meaning to things and events and be less neutral to them. So brilliant. And that's exactly the purpose of this exercise is for us to begin to see the connection between where we are identified and the impact that it has on the kinds of things that are going to be activating for us, positively or negatively. Yeah? So that we can then know but because I've got all of this identification in this area, then these things are going to be charged for me. Okay? And so there's a connection. It isn't the thing, it's the identity that's driving the reaction. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah? Because oftentimes we ascribe meaning to the thing without realizing that it is the identity that is driving the impact. This is what dependent origination is about. This is exactly it. So rather than giving you all this crazy stuff, I'm getting you to actually feel your way through it, that you can see how it plays out, and then I'll give you the crazy stuff as a frame of links and languages and words and all the rest of it. But the most important thing is that you have a direct feeling, oh, I get it. Anybody else? Yes, please. That is a gold key, too. So doing the exercise, I realized, really after the exercise, I realized that um, basically I feel like it's all about love for me, um, loving others, and self-love. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else?
I was rather surprised at the number of different ideas I had about myself that, uh, <laughs> that I didn't re- really think were all in there. Where did all this come from? <laughs> so we don't normally put ourselves in a position where we can look. And so then when we look, it's like, oh my goodness. And, you know, enjoy. Enjoy the surprise. Yeah. Linda, you had something? Um, It was sort of fun because as the time went along, I found myself just every moment being in a different mode, in a different mood, in a different space. And um, with my partner, it sort of became almost like who I was was also combining a bit with looking in her eyes and feeling her, I know I might not have been in my body in the way that we're, you know, working on, um, but it felt like I was still with myself, but also enjoying the depth of feeling, of connecting with her, because she was so present and giving me such nice eye contact. So there's a, a power in what you're talking about. You know, we have mirror neurons where we learn through example and in being uh, seeing things in other people. And so, you know, one of the Buddhist instructions is to is to cultivate joy in other people's joy, mm-hmm. where we can think of a success that somebody else has had, and it can just fill us up with joy. But there's also a way in which other people's presence, their awareness, their capacity to be open, it can both instruct us as well as inform us on, on, on different things about ourself. Mm. And so there's, there's a power in doing these exercises that you wouldn't know about unless you did them. You know, it's hard to imagine the way that we can be impacted by somebody else's presence and looking at them and hearing them and feeling them and how that can ripen or quicken or add awareness and insight to our own process. Yeah. 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 It really did. Thank you. Yeah. Good. So I'd like to invite you to have... uh, 20 minutes of walking meditation and uh, a 10 minute break. So the walking meditation can be walking meditation and the break can be a break. So we have 30 minutes before we're back here, which is 10 minutes to 3, 10 minutes to 4, and then we'll have the last uh, 40 minutes together. Okay?
walk this morning. comes from love always. Oh, really? Oh. I learned...
like to close with a little bit of chanting. Um, page seven. Actually, let's start with the mantra chanting. Um, Metta Karuna Mudita Anupeka. No, let's not do that one. Let's do number three. Omani Padme Hom. You see this picture in the back of the hallway here? That's a, a, a thousand arm chen rezeg. That's the symbol of compassion. And Omani Padme Hom is the mantra of compassion. It's the Dalai Lama's mantra. And, you know, doing the work that we're doing is not easy. And sometimes it's not comfortable. And one of the things that's hugely supportive is when we bring forward a heart of compassion. When we understand that some of the stuff that we're navigating is just the nature of habit and identification. And and it just takes some finessing to see things clearly and to find different choices. And so it's it's hugely helpful to bring forward a heart of compassion. So after a day of touching things, some of them not comfortable things, it's good to close with a compassion understanding about the depth of what we're doing and holding it with a heart that's kind. So Omani Padmi Hom is the is the chant of compassion. We'll do that and then we'll finish with um I'll, I'll, I'll tell you more when we get finished with that. On page three, it's mantra number three on page three. Umani Padme Homo Umani Padme Home. Omani Padme Ho Omani Padme Ho Sorry, the frog. <coughs> frog comes out when I start to chant. Omani Padme Ho Omani Padme Ho Oh, Mani Padme Hom. 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 Oh, Mani Padme Hom.
and on page 12, sharing of blessings. So when we consider the goodness of our practice, the moments of insight, the making the connections, the seeing way things link together and the places where we have more choice, we are discovering these keys, these golden keys of freedom. So as we go through this chant, we can just bring forward the, the blessings that we feel for our practice, for our, the, the, the blessings of being here together, of this of this opportunity for inquiry, for seeing connections and share it with these people who are listed, these beings that are listed, as well as anyone else that comes to mind. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest goodness and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble guide, the Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. So I realize that there's words in here that may be unfamiliar, like devas and the Lord of Death and Deathless and all kinds of things like that, Nibbana. And we can talk about them tomorrow if that's helpful. They'll be they'll be helpful in, in the more of the map of what we'll be talking about. So can we close with a word necklace of what we're leaving the day with? So can we go around, Lindsay? Would you like to start? 
just what should, what what a word or two that describe where you're at, what you're leaving the day with. Awareness. Hopeful. In here. What was your question? Just a word or two about the, the state that you're leaving with. Oh, grateful. Grateful. Out. Mm. Um, hopeful. Hopeful. Gratitude. Reflective. Content. Curious. Joy. Lovely. So thank you again for an excellent day of practice, and we shall see you tomorrow morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you you so much. Thank you. And Jesse, I'm going to... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.